My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we are going to start today uh, by reading something out of Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read it for us here. Uh, The first few verses say this. Uh, The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Uh, Now, if you don't know who the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, I'll kind of catch us up to speed. Uh, They are a religious group of religious people, both of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, religious groups, uh, kind of a social movement, kind of a political uh, movement as well. And and the way of the Pharisees and the way of the Sadducees is is also a, a school of thought, kind of like our political parties today, all right? So these guys are coming to Jesus, and they're saying, we want you to do something miraculous to prove to us who you are, as if Jesus hadn't done enough at this point in the story. And Jesus says this, and I love how he's always answering with these zingers. He says, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. So we're going to start today in this new series, God Talk 2.0. We're revisiting what we started in February and March. And don't worry, if you weren't here for that, it's not like you're coming into the middle of the story. We're just, we just want to go further down the rabbit hole. We want to look at some other things. Uh, we're asking the question today, uh, what are the signs telling us? Uh, what are the signs? How do we find the signs? What, what are we supposed to be looking for? What are we supposed to be hearing? What does Jesus mean when he's talking about paying attention to the signs around you? And how does that play out in God's economy? By the way, say hello to my friend Graham, who's going to be live-scribing everything today. Go ahead and give him a big round of applause. Just to give us some visuals to help us along the way here. Uh, Imagine a world where we can freely talk about God with each other, with our neighbors, uh, our our comrades, our friends at work, our our family. We could talk about God and it's not a fight. (laughs) Nobody thinks anybody has a political agenda. We just talk about God. I love those beautiful conversations I have about God with other people uh, who may be of a different faith or maybe who have no faith at all. I love those conversations because I always come away encouraged. I always come away going, oh my goodness, we have a lot in common. And I always come away from those conversations saying, wow, I've gained a whole new perspective. And I always come away from those conversations with a, a, a new insight or a, a new commitment uh, to Jesus and what he's doing in my life. And so they're, they're fantastic. And the other thing that happens in these conversations uh, is that we build trust. When we have good, unadulterated, you know, uh, free of distraction, free of anger and dispute kind of God conversations, we build trust with one another. When we are willing to crack open our chest and let people see inside of our souls and we're honest with one another about God and where we're at with God, uh, we build trust. Because vulnerability is the gateway uh, to trust. And this is what we are supposed to do as humans. We're supposed to be honest with one another, not be afraid to have conversations. I think this is what God is invited, inviting us into. And the other thing is, uh, and we, we talked about this a few months ago, and it's going to reverberate through this series, is that you and I don't control the outcome of our conversations about God. That, that's up to God. We don't control the outcome. We don't make uh, the magic happen. Uh, We trust that God has way more invested in people than we do, 
right? So we want, we want to talk to our children. We want everything to be right with our family members, with our neighbors, but we do not control the outcome. And we know that God is already there. He's already way more invested than we could ever possibly be. I think the difference uh, between good conversation about God uh, and conversation about God that has, uh, that's lacking or, or leaves us wanting, it's like the difference between uh, sex and relationship. And there is a difference between those two things, yes? I just recently watched uh, this movie uh, with my wife. We had a little date night, and, uh, and we Netflixed Book Club, this movie about uh, these ladies. It's like Jane Fonda and Diane Keaton uh, and uh, Candace Bergen, and they have this book club. They, these ladies have got together over the years, and they decide they want to read the god-awful book, Fifty Shades of Grey. And, so, uh, but, and here's the deal. They, they think that if they read this book, that their lives are going to be changed, maybe. Maybe it's that spark they need. Maybe it's the thing that's going to add the sizzle to their relationships. Maybe everything will be okay. Maybe there's some hidden secret or truth in this book, and so they dive into it. Now, I'm not ruining the movie for you. It's completely predictable. Uh, they find out in the movie that, um, that what they really want is they want relationship. That's what they really want. And as cheesy as the movie is, there's, there's things we can learn from it because God is always speaking. He's speaking through Netflix. <laughs> he is. Jane Fonda's character um, is this powerful woman, it, the, the kind of thing that Jane Fonda plays all the time. She's this powerful woman, put together, owns her own company, can have any man she wants, and they all think she's sexy, and all of the friends kind of want to be like Jane Fonda, right? Because she's got it all together. She totally doesn't have it together. And at one point in the movie, she says, what I really, really want is I want to be able to fall asleep next to someone while they tickle my arm. Oh, it's beautiful. As cheesy as it was, I, I was like, I may have cried. <laughs> like, I may have had one single tear. Because it's beautiful. What she really desperately wanted was relationship. And that requires... Uh, that we're honest with one another, that we're transparent with one another, vulnerable with one another. If we're not those things, then any time that we talk about God with others, he's going to come across as a get-rich-quick scheme. He's going to come across as club. Hey, Jesus club, welcome, high five. Like, and nobody, want, nobody wants that. They're just going to hear us talking. It's not going to make any sense. So when we have God talk with other people, until we're honest with ourselves, we'll never be able to truly introduce Jesus to people. Now, if you're here today and, and you're not a Jesus follower, you're, you're Jesus curious, all right? You're here and you're asking questions. First of all, you're brave. I think it's great that you came into this place where people are singing songs about Jesus and and you go, I don't even know where I'm at with it. That's okay. I hope that we always create a safe environment for you to be able to do that and come in here and ask questions and not feel dumb. That's the kind of place that we want to create. All right? We're all on this journey together. If you're here and we are talking about God talk with you, I want you to know this, that we're not talking about making God talk more sexy. We're not talking about making God talk more slick so we can win arguments. We're not, we're not talking about making God talk, you know, uh, fail-proof because we want you in the club or we need your money or any of those things that you might be afraid of. 
We want you to know, and I want you to know, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to meet him because he has absolutely wrecked and rebuilt my life in all the right ways. And he continues to do that every day. I want you to know Jesus because he's in the business of repairing relationships, and I've, I've felt that firsthand. So, yeah, I want you to know him. I want you to know Jesus because I have, and may, many people in this room have bought a lie uh, in our lives that we're worthless or we have no value or God doesn't care. And yet, when I'm spending time with the people of God and I, I read stories about him in the Bible, I find a God who is completely invested in us, who calls us beautiful, who calls us his, there's a spot in the Bible where he calls us his poem. You are God's poem. So I want you to know Jesus. I want you to meet Jesus because of those things. That's why we're talking about how to talk about God with other people. All right, so I'm curious how we feel about this. I'm curious about how we feel like we're doing in conversations about God. So you like the technology, kids? Pull out your phone. Uh, we are going to take a poll, all right? Seriously, if you, have your, if you have your phone with you, you can take part in this. If you text Lakeside to, to 22333, then you can, you can play along. 22333, text the word Lakeside, and then you're in. And this is the question that we're asking. How do you feel about your conversations about God with others? And, and these are your choices. A is trend setting. I'm so awesome. Look at me. Woo! B is above average. C is eh. D is not so much. And E is let me out of here. There is no right answer. Just go ahead and text in what you feel. Look at that. Look at that. It's not that people are changing their minds. It's actually just kind of sorting it out as it goes along. This is fantastic. Well, look at that. So nobody, oh, somebody feels trendsetting. Either I want to meet you or you're being silly or that's awesome. That's fantastic. Look at that. We're all over the map, right? We're all, we're all people. We're all in this together. There's quite a few of us in the, eh. So I think we have a lot to uh, talk about, yes? Okay, let's go back to that Matthew passage where Jesus says that we're not good at reading in the signs. But, which, by the way, did you catch that, that like, I don't know if your parents said, uh, um, uh, red skies at night, sailors delight, red skies in the morning, sailors take warning. Like, that existed in Jesus' time. He's actually, he's actually using that phrase. And the word that Jesus is using, signs, when he talks about, hey, you know how to read the signs of the sky, but you're not reading the signs of the time, is a word that in English we've translated to uh, semiotics. Now, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with that word. It's a semiotics if you are a semiotician. And in a nutshell, you study signs and symbols and you interpret those things. Okay, so that's, that's where we get that word. That's what's going on. Now, I, I tried my hand at sign reading uh, recently uh, with petroglyphs, all right? And we're going to put a picture up here. My, my wife and I went to uh, eastern Nevada, and uh, we went to a, a national park because we're trying to visit all the national parks before I die. Uh, and I say that because I'm probably going to die first. I don't know. My wife is always talking about what she's going to do after I die, by the way, which is really... <laughs> Really disconcerting sometimes. Like she's got a whole business plan worked out. So it's really crazy. But on the way back, we're, we're on Interstate 50, which you're, if you're in eastern Nevada, there's signs everywhere that say Interstate 50, the loneliest road in America. 
That's what they call it. And if you're ever in Eastern Nevada, it totally makes sense why they call it that. So we decided we were going to come back on Interstate 50 to Folsom, just straight shot, a few hours. Now, out in the middle of nowhere, there are these petroglyphs. They're prehistoric. They're thousands upon thousands of years old, these, these art uh, symbols that have been carved in the rocks. I cannot believe how close you can get to them, actually, because it's like they should be protected. And it kind of made me sad because, you know, along, alongside of this, there was like Dave was here, you know, in the rocks. Like people have defaced them. It makes me so sad. But now I don't know how to read these things. I mean, I could take a guess. The top middle one. Uh, wow. People in prehistoric times loved horseshoes. Or that's the, the back of a donkey or uh, what'd you say? A snail? Is that what somebody said? Yeah, that's awesome. Maybe it's a, they love playing ring toss. I don't know. The one on the top left, high five everybody. Maybe the other one's uh, uh, the bottom left says, wow, they were visited by aliens back then. I have no idea what this means. Why can't I read these signs? Because I'm way far removed from these signs. There's too much space between me and this artwork. Too many years. I'm old, but I'm not that old. Now, if I knew these people that carved these things into the rocks, then I'd probably be able to have a pretty good idea of what was going on. Now, that's interesting for us to know. Because in Acts chapter 17, there's a passage where Paul is talking about signs and how God interacts with people. And he says this. We're going to put this up here. The God who made the world and everything in it and is the Lord of heaven and earth. does not live in temples uh, built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else from one man. He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. God is near. When Jesus talks about reading signs in the world and in other people to kind of know what's going on and how to have discourse and conversation with one another, we are to know that God desires that we seek him and we find him and that he is not far from any one of us. He is always speaking. And Paul uses a, a quote from a, a Greek poem there. Uh, from somebody who may not have even been a follower of God to say, God is always speaking. He is always saying something. The question is never, is God speaking through this? The question is, what is God trying to teach me? What does God want me to hear? What does God want me to lean into? What am I supposed to learn here? And so he is near to us. So when we talk about reading signs, we're not talking about some magical thing that we need a secret decoder ring to find out. Um, now, if you crack open the Bible and you start reading stories in here, you might find that it's mysterious and hard to understand in a lot of spots. Yes, that is very true. But kind of the beauty of that is that God wants us to lean in and grapple with those things and have conversation about those things and kind of kibitz and argue back and forth about what might be going on there because he wants us to know him. And so he's always inviting us into this conversation with him and with others. You know, you might be at a spot when it comes to God conversation where you say, you know, I don't feel comfortable having talk about God with anybody because I don't know 
the Bible well. And, and many of us who are Jesus followers, I, I being one of them, believe that God is speaking through uh, these stories as we, uh, as we peel back the layers and we argue back and forth and talk about what's going on here. I think God is communicating. But maybe you say it's hard to talk with others about God because I don't understand it all. I don't know all the stories. I haven't read the whole thing and I don't want to misrepresent him. Well, I think God wants to let us all off the hook. You ready for this? The Bible is not the point. Knowing the Bible is not the point. Jesus is the point. We're supposed to interact with this so that we may, might know Jesus better. But this is not the point. Jesus is. He's always pointing us to the Father, and He wants us to know Him. Now, in order for us to do that, we have to be students. Sometimes here we say we're students of our context and we're ambassadors to our culture when it comes to God talk. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, what does a student do? They're always asking questions. They don't have to understand everything. They're always asking questions. They're always leaning in. They're always seeking to understand They're asking questions of God. They're seeking to understand people and and what's happening around them. This is what students do. And where do the A students sit, by the way, in the class? In the front row. They sit in the front row. Now, does the front row make A students? I would say, yeah. I don't think A students make the front row. I think the front row makes A students because that's where we pay attention That's why they're sitting in the front. It's easier to pay attention when you're sitting in the front. Take it from a guy who spent most of his years in school in the back row, (laughs) not paying attention, shooting spitballs and writing love notes and making sounds with my armpit, like it's being the class clown, right? But where where you pay attention is up at the front. And I think that's what God is inviting you and I into is he's saying, come sit in the front row. Pay attention to me. Pay attention to people. Be students of your context. And then be ambassadors to your culture. What do ambassadors do? Well, they represent. They take what they've learned. They tell the stories to the world around them. And I think God wants us to do that. When it comes to reading signs and paying attention, I think uh, the church worldwide really kind of has a history of paying more attention to the signs of things that are to come or paying attention to what might happen in the future than paying attention to what is happening in the world right now. Paying attention to what is happening right around us. And you know what? This is the kind of thing that made Jesus cry, literally. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus is uh, riding into the city of Jerusalem, and this is right before his crucifixion. And the Bible says that he weeps over the city when he sees it. Why? Because, in a nutshell, they missed the signs. They missed what was happening right then. They missed the story of what God was doing in their context right then. They were looking for something completely different. They were looking for different signs. They were looking for a Messiah that was going to show up and he was going to raise up the religious class and silence the political class. And instead, you get Jesus who shows up on the scene and points his finger at the religious people and says, you guys, shut up, don't be dumb. They weren't expecting that. 
And they were expecting that they were going to have a Messiah who came in with a sword and was going to kill all the bad guys. And instead, you get Jesus coming in and he puts a towel around his waist and washes people's feet and then talks about being a servant. They weren't ready for that. And they, they, missed, they missed the signs. And so Jesus weeps. Now, it's easy to look at them and say, wow, how did they miss those signs? But we miss signs all the time. We misread people all the time, and we make judgments about people very quick all the time. I'll tell you a story about missing signs uh, that hits close to home. Uh, A few years ago, my wife and I uh, needed a car really bad, and we were broke. Brokeity, broke, 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 broke. That's how, I mean, it's like zero money. Kids were young. Mama had a grocery getter, uh, but daddy had no way to get to work. I was riding my bike. We needed a car. And so we saved, oh man, we saved $2,500 we were able to save. And for young married kids, it was like 25,000 bajillion dollars, right? Like it was, it was a lot of money. And so we started praying that we'd find a car for $2,500. Well, we go to a yard sale one day, one weekend, because that's what broke kids do. They go to yard sales for fun. That's like date day. And so we had a date day going, uh, you know, to look for pottery or whatever we were looking for. And, uh, and I found a, a ski rack uh, for the top of the minivan at this yard sale, and, and I desperately wanted one. And so it was like five bucks. I was excited that I, I got this find. And I hear this voice from behind saying, hey, Pastor John, why don't, you, why don't you just take that thing, man? It's yours. You don't have to pay for it. And I turn around, and I realize the host of the yard sale is a guy who goes to Lakeside. His name is Mike. He's, he's still part of Lakeside today. And this was like 175 years ago. And so uh, I was like, I can't, I can't take it, Mike. No, no, no. He said, no, please, please. You're too generous. No, no, please. Look, it's only five bucks. I want you to have it. He wouldn't take no for an answer. He said, by the way, I saw you looking at my car at the bottom of the driveway when you came in. Are, are, are you looking for a car? Are you interested in that car? Now, I was looking at his car, but not because I thought I could afford it. Because I thought it looked so gangster. It was awesome. Like, I loved it. It was this 240D Mercedes pearl white with gold trim and gold wheels and tan leather interior. Man, I just pictured myself driving that thing with the window down, listening to Tom Petty. Like, it was, like, was going to be fantastic. And, uh, but I said, Mike, I can't afford that car. No, 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 thank you. I mean, it was a lot more than $2,500. You, you dig? Are we, right? And he said, are you sure? You should take it for a test drive. No, no, Mike. I no, thank you. But love you. Took off. We're driving. Just, uh, just barely leave his house. And here comes Mike running down the driveway, waving his arms. Roll down the window or push down the window. I can't remember what I did at that point. <laughs> but window went down. And uh, what's up? Mike says, you're going to think I'm absolutely crazy. But I feel like God is asking me to ask you if you could afford $2,500 for that car. And I'm like, I don't know what you're smoking, but I like it. I was, Are you kidding me? No, dude, yes, I can afford $2,500, but, but no. He says, no, 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 no. And he's got the keys in his hand. He's like, I want you to take it for a drive. Well, I drive that car home that day. 
And Mike blessed my family. We put like a billion miles on that car. I like speaking in hyperbole. Like, like a billion miles. And then after we had it for a few years, uh, a friend of mine really needed a car. And they didn't have much money. And we were in a different spot. And so we sold it to them for even cheaper than that. And they put a billion miles on it. Like, what a blessing. What a beautiful story, right? Here's the other side of the story. I drive it to church. The second Sunday, I, I drive it to Lakeside. Somebody puts an anonymous comment in the offering basket uh, that says something like, wow, we must be paying our pastors too much at this church so they could afford such a luxury car. And, and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And I also have this disease where I wonder what people think about me all the time. So, you know, I mean, it's just messed with my head. And then somebody actually came and, and said something to my face. And, and, and they said they were joking. But, you know, like when somebody tells a joke and you're like, yeah, but you kind of mean it, don't you? Like you're joking, but nah, you kind of mean it. And they said, wow, how are you enjoying that televangelist ministry that you've got on the side? Must be great, raking in the dough to drive a car like that. It took a beautiful, beautiful story of grace and love and sacrifice. And they totally ruined it. It took a while to redeem that story. Now, it's been a few years, so I love telling the story now. I laugh at it. <laughs> Isn't it right? But sometimes we just miss the signs. Because we're so, we're so quick to judge. But see, in order to have good God talk, in order to um, have good conversation, in order to know people's stories and what's going on inside, uh, we have to actually care about people. I know, I know. Crazy, right? We have to actually care. As a matter of fact, if we don't care about people, we really have no business talking about God. Start with caring first. There's plenty of God talk going on in the world where people are trying to prove a point or have a loud voice. Or I dare you to look at Twitter. Something's happened in the last 20 seconds. I'll probably. You know, where somebody said something really dumb or embarrassing or scary about God. When we, when we talk about God and we don't care about people, it just, it just sounds like this, that old adage that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's, it's absolutely true. So we have to start asking really tough questions about ourselves and how we see people. We can start asking questions like, like who are the people in my neighborhood? Like, who do I live with? What's the makeup of the Folsom, El Dorado Hills, Orange Vale, uh, Rancho Cordova, this region? Like, like who, are, who are the people here? Well, if we want to care about people, maybe we start by saying, well, first of all, they're human. I know, I know. It's a tough one. 
But you know, honestly, I mean, sometimes we don't see people as human. Sometimes it's, it's hard for us to put skin on people. But everybody has a story. My wife, since my kids were this big, my wife always told my kids, was one of her things, she'd say, you guys, everybody has a story. Everybody has a story. I love that about my wife, that she instilled that in my children because my kids love people. They just do. They see people as human. James chapter 3 talks about... um, talks about how we use our tongues. It says it's one of my favorite chapters because I often have a foot-shaped mouth. Um, I often say things that get me in trouble, but it talks about how our tongues are a restless evil. And how, and in verse 9, it says that we, we worship God with our mouth and we curse people in his likeness. And the Bible is like, why? Like, I can't. That can't happen that way. It's not, it's not supposed to work like that. Now, the word likeness there, there's actually a couple words for likeness uh, in the Bible that I think are important to talk about. One is the word icon, uh, E-I-K-O-N, Greek word, uh, which is, we get the English word icon from this word, I-C-O-N, right? Image. It's like, we all bear the icon of God. We all bear the image of God. We are all stamped with a God tattoo, that doesn't change. But then there's this other likeness or image that's talked about in the Bible. And it's talked about in James chapter 3 where we just talked about not cursing people made in his likeness. And it's, it's this idea that we are becoming more like him. That we are moving towards his likeness. And so we are supposed to see people stamped with the God tattoo that doesn't wash off. And we're also supposed to see their God potential. We're supposed to see what God is inviting everybody into. Now, so if you have a hard time seeing people as human, and that's okay. It's okay to admit. Then you might want to take advantage of something that's coming up. Here's a good start. October 28th at 2.30 right here. Uh, we are gathering together with some people from the Muslim community of Folsom here. And we're going to have some snacks. We're sitting. We're just going to have open conversation. Try to get to know each other better. If you want to be part of that, it's limited to 100 people. If you say, I want to start seeing people as human, I want to have good God conversation with people, you might want to start there. Okay. Um, Who else lives here? Uh, Humans. Also, uh, fast-paced, busy people live here. Oh, yeah, I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to this guy. Fast-paced, busy my goodness, I had so many conversations today that went like this. Hey, how you doing? I'm oh, doing pretty good. Staying pretty busy. It's the first thing we say. How, how's your wife? How, how's your husband? Oh, doing good. I mean, it's hard to find time together because, you know, we're so busy. How, how are the kids? Oh, my goodness, driving them everywhere. Sports, this, and school, that, and Pretty busy. So if that's how we are and that's how the people around us are, what does that mean for us? So how do we have conversation with fast-paced, busy people? Well, first of all, I think we all take stock of our own life, right? And we start listening to what God says about slowing down and taking a rest. We say, my goodness, Lord, help me to breathe. Help me to create space in my life for other people. The best God talks that I've ever had, and I think that we will ever have, that you will ever have, are done in times of rest, 
Not in times where we're running around like stupid people, like chickens with our heads cut off. Like, they happen in rest times, over meals. That's, that's, where, that's where God talk happens. So we take stock of our own life, and then maybe we start uh, imagining creating spaces in our own homes where we're hospitable and we're inviting people into our homes and giving them a chance to rest and relax because they desperately need it. Maybe we start there. So we're human, we're fast-paced, we're busy. You know what else we are? We're competitive. This is one of the most competitive communities ever. Right? We want to win so bad in our jobs, or we want to win so bad in life. We want our kids to win. We want our teams to win. 92% of parents have their children in sports because they are living vicariously through them. I totally made that statistic up. It's not true. But but you didn't even flinch at it. Everybody was like, "Uh uh-huh, yep, it's true. It's true, right? I remember uh, when my son was a little boy, he wanted to be in baseball. Brad always tells these great baseball stories. I'm going to tell you a bad baseball story. When my son was young, he wanted to be in baseball, and I really don't even care about baseball like at all. I like going, and uh, I like eating popcorn, and I like the smell of grass at a live game, but I don't really care. I-, I could say I'm a Dodgers fan in this room, and I don't care. Go ahead and boo me. I don't even care. I don't even care, Taryn. Look at this. I'm not even shaking, girl. Put it on your Instagram story. I don't even care. So my son, anyway, he's in, he's in baseball, and he comes home after just a few games, and he's like, Dad, and he's in tears. He's like, I want to quit. I don't want to do this. Well, why don't you want to do it? He says, well, because it's boring. I'm like, well, I could have told you that. And he's like, no, because it's boring. I, and he was a soccer player, so he liked running around all the time, you know, and now he's in the dugout, and he's... You know, I mean, he, he, he said it's boring. I said, well, let's quit. Totally surprised him. What? I could quit? Yeah, let's call your coach. He'll understand. His coach did not understand. <laughs> I wish I had a recording today that I could share with you of the foul language that came this way through the phone as the coach told me how I could be a better parent by teaching my son about stick and winning and being on a team it's like he's like he's a little boy. I'm gonna competitively punch you in the face right now. Like, like, what are you talking about? It's a game. Oh my goodness. What it is, what is going on inside of us that is so messed up that our identity and, and what we are trying to accomplish is so wrapped up in weird things like our kids being in baseball. I think, I think we have some questions to ask ourselves about that. You know, what would it look like if we took that competitive edge and we turned it on its head and we started pouring that kind of energy into loving people better and creating space for people and fighting for things that actually really matter? Now, I'm not saying don't love baseball. Go ahead. Take me to a game sometime. I'd love it. If you're paying, I'm going to totally love it. It's going to be great. I'll drive. Why would you ask that? Do you need a designated? We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk later. Okay. All right. Here's the deal. Uh, we're all the same. We think we're so unique, and we are. We're unique, but 
We all have the same story. We all want our families to be successful. We want our marriages to work. We have fears that something bad's going to happen to our kids. We're worried about security and safety. And but in order to have good God conversation, we need to get super close to people. We need to actually uh, care about them. When we talk about reading the signs, we actually have to. My friend told me a long time ago when I first started ministry, he said, uh, you're going to know if ministry is successful for you if you go home smelling like old ladies' perfume and body odor. (laughs) Now, I think that's great because he gave me this word picture of just getting close to people, right? Just like just hugging people, caring for people. I, I love that. There was somebody in my life who, who was not afraid to get close to me, not afraid to get close to my family. Her name was Charlotte, and um, she's my spiritual mom. Uh, she taught me about Jesus, first introduced me to Jesus when I was nine years old, almost ten years old. Um, yesterday I went up to Grass Valley because I spoke and played music at Charlotte's memorial service. She was 90 years old. She just passed away. And I I was thinking uh, about how uh, this old lady used to come take me to Sunday school. I always saw her as an old lady, and then I realized she was my age. (laughs) Like, what is happening in my world? (laughs) She used to take me to Sunday school. She took a risk. Like, she read the signs well. She knew what my family needed. She drove down onto our property to Hippie Haven where we were living in a Volkswagen van, I kid you not. Asked my dad if she could take me to Sunday school. He was probably high at the time. It worked. I ended up going. I don't, I don't know what the case was, but she took a risk. And, and she took my brother and I to, to Sunday school, to church, and, and we started following Jesus. And you know what? A few years later, my parents did. And you know what? A few years later, my cousins did because she all, all took them as well. And some of us went into ministry, and some of us are teachers in Christian schools. And this lady impacted hundreds of people because she read the signs well. Now, she could have missed the signs. She could have totally missed them. She could have said, there's no way that whacked-out family is going to let their kids go to Sunday school with me, a stranger. She could have just not paid any attention to us. She could have totally missed it, but she didn't. Well, Charlotte, before uh, she died in the months leading up to um, her going home with Jesus, she had dementia. And, uh, and I really wanted to see her a few months ago. And um, so I drove up to Grass Valley, and she was in a home. And uh, she, she wasn't saying much, right? She, she just kind of had a, a blank look on her face. And I introduced myself and and I told her story after story after story about how she used to let me swing on her swing and open her door and I could go into her house and there was Turkish delight candy there for me to eat and she was always making something on the stove and she was always telling me stories about Jesus and she let me go into her garden pick cucumbers and break them open and she had a salt shaker that she sat on a post and she taught us how we should salt the cucumbers and we could eat them right in the garden and I told her about how her husband and her taught me how to frog gig in their pond and I made frog legs with that. I'm, like, I'm just telling story after story after story and it's a blank look right and I'm reading Bible verses that she's got on the wall around her and it's at one point in the conversation I I don't know how to explain this to you just just, her eyes changed 
It's like she wasn't there, but then all of a sudden she was there. She was so present. And she looked at me and she said, I remember you, honey. Oh. You know why? Because she cared enough to get close. She cared enough to get close to our family. And I think God had those memories flood back for her and gave me a very special moment with her and taught me a lesson about what it means to go the distance and take risks for people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to become better listeners and better sign watchers, Lord. Help us do whatever we need to do to be front row students and to listen to people and to get their stories and see what makes them tick and see them as human, put skin on them, to create spaces uh, for people to be able to slow down, Lord, uh, to understand that they're running around at a fast pace too and they desperately need rest, just like us, Lord. We're all in the same boat. Let us take a good look at our identity, Lord, and, and see how sometimes that gets out of whack and we become competitive for all the, the weird, wrong reasons, Lord. Help us to uh, take that energy and pour it into people and, and run races uh, that super matter, Lord. And when it comes to conversation about you, Lord, help us be more concerned about relationship with other people than some kind of slick flip chart presentation about who you are because that's not what the world needs. We desperately want the world to meet you for who you really are, Lord. Thank you for having anything to do with us. We love you. Amen.